You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Thinking. Love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What the hell am I sorry for? Steve, are those for Mr. or Mrs. Wheeler? No. Good. Hey, what the hell? Hey. Nancy isn't home. Where is she? Doesn't matter. We have bigger problems than your love life. Do you still have that bat? Bat? What bat? The one with the nails. Why? I'll explain it on the way. Now? Now! Welcome, everyone, to the... 206 Club. I am your host, Matthew Rushing, and we're just doing things a little bit differently today. Um, one might Let's say... We're in the 206 yeah, Club. Yeah, upside down. So, oh! Yeah. yeah. There you go. I was like, what happened? Did I have a stroke? <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. Um, so, no, so excited to, to be here tonight to be able to talk about uh, Stranger Things 2. And uh, as you can hear, I am so glad to have back brand new mama and outpost extraordinaire host, Dre Kaufman. Hello. Hey, welcome back. Super excited to be here. Oh, you should be. I mean, it's a great show. And we're talking about one of your favorite things. A great show. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I'm on a great show talking about a great show. Yes. So I'll take it. Uh, achievement unlocked. Ding. Um, <laughs> and back to talk about season two, part two, two is Christy Morse. Hey. How are you? Good. I cannot wait to dive into this. I was just blown away. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. In fact, I got a chance to rewatch every single episode, all eight of them, um, and so I'm super excited to be here to do that tonight. Um, it, I'm just I'm I'm teasing that there are nine. I know that, but we'll yeah we'll talk about it. Before we dive into everything here, uh, just want to remind you you can find all the shows we do all over the place, but the best place to go is on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. That's where you can uh, review and rate the 602 Club and help the show grow, but also subscribe, which is so important to subscribe because you, when you subscribe, you get the episodes the moment that I publish them, and so uh, you can listen to the 602 Club first before anybody else who isn't subscribed. Also, you can find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have our website at Trek.fm where you can uh, check out Trek.fm slash contact. You could email us, uh, choose a show, choose the 602 Club. That'll come to me and anybody else here that week. And we have our listeners-only discussion group, and that's called the Babel Conference. It's over on Facebook. That's uh, an easy place to get to. If you're on Facebook, type Babel into the search field. Or if you're on your w- the website at Trek.fm, click discussion on any of the menu bars and it'll bring you right over there and you can talk to everybody else about everything that we're talking about here on track fm so 
Um, I did that fast because we have so much to talk about with a TV show like Stranger Things 2. And um, I wanted to get both of your uh, first impressions. You know, you, the, the first time you watched through the entire season, uh, what was uh, your first thoughts uh, about this season 2? What did you think, Christy? There was a lot of screaming involved. <laughs> I'll start with... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Snowball! 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 <laughs> yes. No, I know what you mean. No, I did a lot of. Oh my God! It's a Demogorgon. Um. Yeah. It. It. There were so many moments of jumping clean out of your skin, and I love that kind of scary. Not the kind of scary where I'm horrified and not going to sleep for a week, but you know, just enough to make me jump a lot is fun. And still, you know, like I said, it's scary but enjoyable. Um. Yeah. My my first thoughts were for sure um, made me jumpy was really great to come back and give you a lot of the things that you were questioning. Um, You know, that like we talked about Matt for season one, um, not getting to meet any of the families for Dustin and Lucas at that point. And now we're finally getting to Um, getting to learn more about Steve, getting to introduce some new characters. It was a lot um more in depth, I felt, than the first season, and in a good way. Yeah, what did you think, Drea? Uh, I enjoyed it. I'm trying to sort of put a good summary to my overall feelings on it. Um, I like that they took the story, some cases in a little bit of a predictable pattern, right? You're learning about Eleven's background, and you're learning a little bit about more about everyone we've already met. I felt like in some places it was kind of predictable. I felt like, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Giving the audience what they want is sometimes really satisfying, right? So I feel like it was predictable, but in a satisfying way. Like I wanted to know about that backstory, so I'm glad they gave it to me. Um, and overall, I I like what they did with the characters. The characters had somewhat of a natural organic development to them which I really like because I hate when they force certain stereotypes to be true Um, I like what they um, we'll talk a little bit maybe as we get into it on specific characters and specific things that I really enjoyed about um, the season Um, I feel like the second season the second movie the second fill in the blank whatever it is is always usually a little bit weaker than the first Um, I mean there's obvious exceptions to that but um, I feel like it's it was a good, solid plot to further the environment and the four-season arc we're going to get, but I don't feel like it was maybe as strong as the first one. There are some mm. things I really enjoyed about the first season that I felt like were kind of missing from the season, um, but it, I still enjoyed it, and I still I watched it originally, and I rewatched it for the recording, even though I just finished it, because, you know, who needs an excuse to rewatch something you really enjoyed? <laughs> um so that's that's kind of where I'm falling. I don't think it was like the all the the best thing I've ever seen, but I still really really enjoyed it. And I always kind of go in with an expectation that the next, the second, like the second Guardians, the second, all of that. I I never felt as strongly about as I do the first one. So I kind of knew that going in and set my expectations accordingly. And and Matthew, and where do you fall in this Stranger <laughs> Things spectrum here? You know, it's it's a good question, and I think. Um, you know, Stranger Things kind of came out of nowhere and really surprised me. And so for the second season, um, you know, 
I was pleasantly surprised that they did answer a lot of the questions, especially the things that we had talked about, Christy, uh, you know, with Eleven's background, talking more about this upside down. A lot of that stuff gets played out in the season, which was great. Um, I, I think uh, in some ways, you're right, Drea, they took some of the characters in predictable ways and then others kind of not, um, which is fantastic. I mean, who figured that the show was going to turn into the adventures of babysitting with Steve, which was amazing. Ah, it's like my favorite yeah. um, So, I mean, that <laughs> some of that stuff is just so... Um, it's not really out of left field because it definitely feels like a natural progression, but, you know, there were other places. It was places. not expected. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's just unexpected, and, and that's great. Um, and I, I think these writers really kind of understand that. And they definitely... The whole season is trying to do some different things. It's not trying just to be the same thing as it was before. Uh, some of that works and some of it doesn't. And so um, in, in a lot of ways, this is they're trying to be the Empire Strikes Back to Star Wars. Um, mm. And they actually take a lot of those motifs, actually, um, and, and put it into the season. Um, and some of that, again, works well. And some of it doesn't, I don't think, work very well at all. And so it's more of a mixed bag, but honestly, by the time we get to the snowball at the end of the sh- at the season, like everything is gravy. Like I'm I'm totally okay with the season, even if some of the pieces haven't worked as well where we ended up. And I just I was my heart was kind of happy, you know. I mean, come on, who doesn't want to see Mike and Eleven kiss? I mean, we've been dying to see Max the snowball. Or Max, yeah, yeah, by that point, yes, Max and Lucas, you're totally cool. I mean, that's that's what you want to see. Or Nancy dancing with Dustin, like, it's so Okay, sweet. I'm sorry. Yeah. The best part about the snowball was Dustin's hair. Yeah, it yes, was great hair. thank I'm you. I'm just putting it out there. I loved his It was hair. amazing. Four puffs Steve of the well. faucet spray. Wall damp, not wet, damp. So, um, <laughs> And if you tell anyone, I'll kill you. Exactly. You know, yeah, it's... It is, I think, um, it's a good season. It's just not as good as the first season. But that doesn't mean that there aren't so many great things that happen throughout the season. And and one of the things I kind of wanted to dive into with you both was um, there's an interesting thing that kind of happens with the idea of, of this season where characters are trying to especially two very important characters. One's brand new and one we're still discovering. And they're both trying to find home this season. And I was, I really, anytime a redheaded kid is on screen, I'm going to totally like them. Like, that's just, (laughs) I mean, and, and I really liked Max from the beginning, but I also liked her trying to find her place in this brand new environment and find a home with, you know, this gaggle of boys um, that she's found herself kind of in the middle of. And I really liked the way that they played that theme through her of, you know, she comes from a broken home. She comes from an abusive home. Um, and she's trying to find safety. And what she finds it in is in the friendship of, you know, this crazy group of guys. Um and I really liked the way that that played out with her, her character. And it really helped me ease into having a brand new character that we're trying to like 
make a part of the group and everything. I just felt, I really felt like the way that that story played out helped me feel comfortable with them trying to stick a new character in this already established, you know, group of four. Uh, otherwise known as the Holy Trinity, because we all know, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, even though it's not, not everything a, it's the Holy Quadrilogy, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she really is a wonderful character because she's so different. I like that you started it with that, Matt, because you've got this existing world with these boys that have all grown up together. It's going to be really difficult for anybody to be added to the group, naturally, because if you had a group of friends like that in your own life, you know that you've become such a tight knit group that anybody else coming in, everyone's going to question, well, why do they get to be a part of this? They haven't been here the whole time. Um, but she's a tough girl. And I like that they even have this whole thing with um, when they, the boys first meet her going, well, girls don't play video games. And then she gets to totally prove them wrong and doesn't even have to say it. They just go to the arcade to investigate. And there she is topping all their scores. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it just her whole background, although it's unfortunate of, you know, coming from a broken home and then also having this stepfather who's abusive, at least to her stepbrother, um, it really makes you feel for her when she finally does open up to Lucas about everything going on in her life. It, you suddenly go, wow, I, I get why she feels like she has to be so tough all the time. But then she has this softer side where she can totally be herself with Lucas and somewhat with Dustin. Um, but Mike is still not so sure about it. I um I, I appreciate what they did with having a strong female character. Um, there's a part of me that sort of regrets they had to make her tough um, because it's there's nothing wrong with her still being kind of sensitive and raw and you know, that sort of thing. And I think they walked a line for the most part. They didn't cross into that stereotypically, like I'm overly tough to prove myself or I'm overly masculine to fit in, you know, um, they walked a line there with that. And I think they did a pretty good job of not being too, too much like that. Um, they made a good tomboy without her trying to be a boy, um, in that sense, because, you know, I, the worry would be that not, to like skateboarding and adventures and video games and stuff. She has to be masculine to do that is kind of my concern. You know, it, it walks right along that fine line there for me. Um, Cause there's nothing wrong with wanting to wear a pink dress and still slay some dragons in dungeons and dragons. So, um, uh, but I did really like the character. I did like how, um, how she came out and how it was a very organic reveal of who she is. And it wasn't sort of overly dramatic or overly drawn out. I do agree that I really like the relationship she builds with Lucas and that it's, you know, you can see he's trying to really connect with her. You know, he asks, I love when he asks his dad, what do you do when mom's mad at you? <laughs> that was perfect. I give her what she wants and you're like, all right, here we go. You what know? about when mom's wrong? Um, she's never wrong, son. She's not wrong. <laughs> I love, and I love that. Um, you know, for me, it felt like it made this seemingly love triangle that could have been kind of superficial. It made it like Lucas was really trying and he really cared and he really wanted her to feel welcome and he really wanted to connect with her. Um, and not just that there was this superficial love triangle weirdly going on with Dustin. Um, so I, I really liked her character. Um, I, I don't, however, I do have one big gripe and I can't. 
can't decide if it's with Eleven or with Max, but the scene in episode eight where Max and Eleven meet and she introduces herself and she says, hi, I'm Max. And Eleven walks right past her. I have massive issues with this scene because it's the first time you have two women in a scene together and Eleven instantly goes to this like catty, jealous place without knowing anything other than the fact that she saw Mike and Max talking in a gym. Yeah. But to her, like, it came across like they were flirting, though. Like, I, I don't know. It made sense to me. And that's fine. And I, I get that they, even if she thinks they're flirting, yeah. it's still like you still have like this woman against woman anger that's not necessary. Like, it's not necessary to further the storyline. You could have easily had Eleven still be pleasant to Max and find out that it had nothing. Like, you still had, ar- you'd already moved past that tension several episodes ago and you didn't need to make her catty. You didn't need to make this like woman on woman crime for the only time that you have two female characters interacting with each other. Like it's such a negative stereotype for women because she can be hurt and not angry at Max. See, I I agree with you because the thing that bothered me about it was the fact that um, Eleven doesn't realize that Mike loves her, not Max, Mm -hmm. and that she would Mm -hmm. care you know, mm-hmm. now the only thing I could think of, and this is where I don't think it's Max, I think it's Eleven as a character. Yeah. You know, Eleven doesn't really have a lot of experience with human emotions like this anyway. So the fact that she acts like that, uh, in, in some way at least makes sense for the story of who Eleven is and what she's, so been she's through immature. and the fact that she's not very mature as a person. Um, so she is kind of like not even 11 year old. She's like, you know, she acts probably more like an eight-year-old sometimes, really, with her thought process. But I, I definitely agree with you. Like, I saw that scene, I was like, oh, I kind of wanted them to be friends, not for her to be kind of a B-word, you know, to her. Yeah. Like, there's no reason, like, that has to be. Now, what excites me... She could have been angry. Right. I mean, she could still be right. angry, and right. we can work past it, but we never resolve that mm-hmm. relationship, and that's the yeah. only interaction they had, and, like... It still takes quite a bit of maturity to be angry about something like I don't know. It just it didn't sit with me well. I I I cringed. I just didn't like it. I wanted that to go down differently than it did. And I I get I mean it makes logical sense why it worked out that way, but we could have written the story so it worked out differently instead of having our two young female characters already at each other's throats. And it would have been like, kind of cool if there had been a scene at the snowball where they like give each other the eye they, like, like they're cool or, or something, something you know, know. like I uh, see so you're you're we're cool, you know, like that would have been nice. And again, I I I wanted there to be that because yeah, I think it this will hopefully be something that'll be fun in the third season is watching this group now where you have Eleven and Max as a part of the, you know, the fellowship that they've created. Uh mm-hmm. the fellowship of the un, upside down. The upside down. Uh yeah, <laughs> the so upside down. <laughs> um but no, I, I, I think the Dre you pointed out something was kind of cool is that I love that Max, they created a character who could be vulnerable and that she felt that vulnerability. And what I loved is that she felt that vulnerability with Lucas, who is the only character that we see in this show that really comes from a good family. Like, he comes from the classic, really well-loved um, uh, and respected nuclear family. And you can see that kind of play out in his character and the way that he treats Max, 
You know, like he truly understands how you treat other people. And not just that, but women, because he's watched his dad do it, right? He's had a good example. Dustin doesn't have that. So, you know, he's he's getting an example of how to deal with Max from Steve. Maybe not the best place to get advice. You know, Steve's not a bad guy. I love Steve. I think Steve proves it to be him himself to be a good man in this show. But, you know, he's still young. So, like, I really, I, I thought it I, it made a lot of sense that Max would be kind of attracted to Lucas a little bit more than Dustin anyway because there's a stability and, like, a, a real respectful part of Lucas that the other boys don't necessarily have. Um, well, kind of going back, Lucas is the one who tries to get to know her, yes. tries to make her realizes she's feeling removed from the party and that she's being left out. So maybe I should make an effort to include her, or maybe I should make the extra effort to like go out of my way and do something for her. Right. Like where Dustin is attracted to her, but not making those same sort of concerted efforts. And so from a genuine standpoint, Lucas seems to have a, a care for her as a person and not just as a love interest where Dustin seems to just kind of have a crush and is just thinks she's cute and just, you know, like thinks it's cool yeah. that she plays video games, you know, like versus like wanting to have a, a deep connection with her. Yeah. Um, and part of that is probably what you're saying that, you know, Lucas has learned that from his dad that you have to make genuine connections where, um, you know, Dustin's mom makes connections with felines, which there's nothing wrong with. But I mean, that's her her little baby, you know, is is Muse. So. Not anymore. Or whatever they named the Siamese Dark cat that she has at the end. No, and what's so interesting is that Dustin has never had to work for the affection of anyone because his mother, like, dotes on him, right? So there mm. is that thing where Dustin, I think even though he's that geeky kid, he kind of immediately feels like people should just automatically love me um, and not realizing that you kind of have to work to get to know people and, like, when it comes to the the, you know... The female sex if you want to uh yeah because he in a is very like yeah cocky i guess for lack of a better yeah. word you know he's like who could resist these pearls <laughs> <laughs> there you go um, don't don't do that um i love <laughs> I that he just finally that. listens the only one he'll listen to is steve which i uh, <laughs> uh, well it's because steve's the yeah cool i know he's, he's who well, steve's who he wants to be when he gets true, brother. but also steve kind of turns into yeah. his surrogate father which i think is also very funny like seriously <laughs> want a spinoff with just steve and dustin the adventures oh yeah of steve and dustin would be awesome um so yeah, no, really liked Max and her longing for like home and kind of finding it in this this strange group, you know, that she gets herself involved in. And you know, when Lucas finally tells her the whole story, she's like, doesn't believe him. And then finally, she realizes it's all true. And and but she's also accepted finally in the entire group. I love the conversation that Max and Mike finally have um, when they're questioning Will. And they're looking for stuff in the buyer's kitchen. And they actually finally have a really honest conversation. And it they find a way to kind of finally be cool with each other, um, which I thought was neat. Uh, it, it It's subtle. But, I mean, it, just the conversation they had, like, she she's really trying to let him know that she kind of understands. And I don't know. I just I, I liked that there's a lot of different interactions with the the guys with her and it's not all quite the same and i don't know what i'm trying to say other than i thought that she was a fun character to watch bring out uh, this is what i'm trying to say she helped bring out different sides of the boys that we hadn't seen before 
which I thought that was really cool. Um, she also kind of functions as what I think of whenever I, I'm on this with you, Matt, um, one of your favorite functions of a character, um, which is to be the audience. Yes, right? yes, She's yes. the outside. She she can ask the questions. You, you can explain things to her and explain them to us as an audience that doesn't seem to be too expository, right? They're not just like, well, Hawkins is this town in Indiana. You know, like they can, they, there's a reason why you're telling her it's because she's new and she doesn't know and you know, that sort of thing. So um, she pr- kind of provides that element to us as an audience member as well, which I know personally, you really enjoy that character. So that's probably also part of why you really can, she's redhead and well, she's, yeah. your, uh, she's, she's your audience. Yeah. So, I mean, my, little, I mean, my little like 11 year old self would be in love with her too. Um, she's just, a, <laughs> she is a, a great character. And uh, what's interesting is watching, you know, 11's journey, slash Jane has a very interesting journey here and it it turns out to be kind of Luke from Empire Strikes Back where she's divorced from most of the rest of the people in the show for most of it and she's also somebody who is kind of like looking for home and you know she finds two different homes one was in is in Hawkins with Hopper who finds her uh, after she's come back from the Upside Down. And then she goes and experiences another idea of home um, with, you know, in Chicago. Um, and she has a, a, a flirtation with an idea of a home where her mom is with her aunt. Um, and And through all of that, she kind of finds that where her home is, is in Hawkins with these people. But I wanted to kind of ask you guys if, like, what do you think of her journey through this series and how does it work for you? Because we're finally getting the answers, but I'm wondering for you if the storyline feels right. So for me, it felt kind of what we were all saying at the beginning of there were some kind of predictable things we wanted to know about Eleven. Um, you know, like what's, you know, how did she get out of the upside down? Um, what's she going to do now? Is she going to go find her mom? Is this woman we were talking about who's lost her mind actually her mom or just someone she thinks is, um, and all of those things. But, um, the one thing that I wish had been done better, I'm not really sure how they could have done it better, but it felt out of place was that whole episode of the lost sister, with Eleven going to find Kali. Episode seven. Yeah. All you have to say is episode seven and anyone who's seen this knows exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was cool in the sense of, you know, turning Eleven into this punk who um, is getting to know sort of a sister figure. Yeah, it looks like she was on episode of Punky Brewster. Yeah. You know, she slicks her hair back. She's got the leather jacket and the eyeliner. Um but it felt like you're watching a totally different show for that whole episode. It felt like you're completely stepping out of the world of Hawkins, which you are. You're going to Pittsburgh or wherever they are. Um, no, I'm sorry. It started in Pittsburgh. Chicago. They're in Chicago in this one. Um, that's right. Um, but yeah, it just feels like completely separated in every way from the rest of the season. And so in that sense, it really feels like it doesn't fit with the other parts that we were already exploring, even though you do want to know about if there are other kids being experimented on by Hawkins Lab and where they are now. 
For me, her, I think that comparing it to Luke's journey is is a good, a really good comparison. Um, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that does kind of really work for me. Um, I didn't like that we basically confirmed that Terry Ives was her mom. Um, I thought that was really anticlimactic. Um, and, and actually, I, I take issue with the fact that we didn't really even get a good confirmation of it. Like, we all kind of knew it going in, and then we just kind of went on the assumption that that was the truth, and we never sort of questioned it. Her aunt never questioned it, you know, that sort of thing. Um, her mom having the abilities as well doesn't necessarily mean that, that Terry having the abilities doesn't necessarily mean that she was her mom. Um, now, now we've created this idea that the, the, um, abilities are genetic or hereditary. Um, and, uh, so that I found just uh, predictable, but maybe a little unsatisfying in its sense. Um, I agree about episode seven feeling completely disconnected from the rest of the series. And I, it's probably part of the point. Um, I feel like I read a really interesting article and I'm trying to remember which might've been a Nerdist episode uh, article, but somewhere that the argument was if you switched episode six and episode seven and you made them the opposite order. So instead of ending with the demo dogs coming out of the pit and then going to this episode in Chicago, if you had switched those, um, it might have flowed better because you wouldn't have this super epic cliffhanger in Hawkins that you feel like you need to get back to. You would have had all of this prep storyline and then you would have started that sort of like amp up to the end of the series. And then you would have kind of had more of a high impact last three episodes that the flow might've been better if you watched it that order. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thought. And when I rewatched it, I sort of paid attention to that. And I do feel like that might have helped if they had switched just the two or three elements in the episodes that needed to be reorganized and flip-flopped them. Um, you might have made more sense. Um, I also didn't really like... It was interesting is Eleven is such a strong character. But like Matt was talking about earlier, emotionally, she's not mature yet. So we have only seen Eleven in environments where other people are telling her who she is. So the whole entire first season, you've got Papa, you've got Dr. Brenner telling her she's, you know, this science experiment, and then she meets the boys and they tell her, you know, she's a, a fighter of monsters. Um, and this season, you've got Hopper, who's telling her she needs to be protected and trying to teach her to be a normal kid, um, but not letting her know who her family is and that sort of thing, trying to construct her the way he, you know, from that child he lost, he's kind of trying to recreate that. And now you have her going to meet her sister who kind of made her look like what they said, like an MTV punk, you know, um, with the makeover that she also doesn't really have a say in um, and doesn't really seem to fit her super well. Um, so it's just interesting because I don't know that we've really seen her as who she is yet. Um, I think the closest we got is when she does show up to the snowball and uh, she's sort of got her own ill-fitting 80s riffic denim dress on with the, you know, with the pink lining and the and all of that. I think that's maybe the first like glance into who she actually is that we get. Um, so I kind of wished that we had seen her character become her character, but I think maybe that's part of this longer journey that we're going to have with her um, is for her to just sort of develop into herself. Um, but all in all, I think of all the character arcs in the storyline, hers is probably my least favorite. 
um, only because I was a little disappointed by some of the elements they chose to go with. Um, I don't think they were poorly done. I just didn't like them. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of where I, f I feel with her. I'm glad we got the storyline. Like, I'm glad we found out how she came back from the upside down and she just wasn't magically back. And we have to try to guess how that happened. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. Her backstory was a little too predictable for me, a little too too nicely tied up and, and put in a nice little package. So um, I really love Eleven as a character, so I really wanted more, so I felt disappointed. Disconnected and it feels so good. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, honestly. Now you have to pay rights on yeah, that song. Um, <laughs> what, what's frustrating about it to me is that her arc, for the most part, is the most boring part of the season. Because like mm -hmm. you said, Drea, there isn't really anything about it that is surprising because all the things that she finds out, we already know, basically. Or have already guessed. Yeah, and so, yeah. It, it, and two, it is so divorced from everything else, it feels unimportant, you know. Um, the, the best part about Luke's journey in The Empire Strikes Back is that it's still connected to everything in a uh, in a way that makes it feel important, like Luke is learning things that he needs because he's the mm -hmm. Jedi, right? And they try to do that moment with you know Eleven and her sister there, uh, Kaylee, but it just you know like where she does the whole moment about you know Kali, whatever her name is. <laughs> um, Eight. We'll just call her eight. Um, and how she's just like, you know, telling her to get really angry, you know, so she can channel her powers. And like, that's the Yoda moment, you know, like, mm, you know, use the force, Luke. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's not enough to make that story meaningful to tell, especially to waste an entire episode to do it. Um, and especially because she wasn't like teaching her to to she wasn't teaching her the same way Hopper is teaching her right. like to her benefit. Right. She's not like, oh, I'm going to teach you how to use your power so that you can like survive in this crazy world. She was like, I'm going to teach you how to use your power so we can go kill people that I'm angry with. You know, like that's that's the difference. And like so like, she can continue being subservient. You get frustrated by it. Right. You're like, I, I don't want you to learn to be like this terrible criminal. Like you're better than this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the, like we're going to turn her from a superhero to a supervillain, you know, and that's not what you want for Eleven. And I, 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 the thing is, is I can see absolutely 100% what the Duffer Brothers are trying to do. I don't think that they found the best way to integrate it into the full story. And, and I'm not sure how you do it, but it does seem almost like maybe Hopper and... Eleven should have gone on this journey together and that would have been maybe more interesting and made it feel a little bit more organic because that's the thing is it doesn't feel completely organic to the rest of the season um, especially episode seven which again this season could have been eight episodes again and they could have found a way to work this storyline in some other way and that would have been really helpful because episode seven, I literally rewatched the season again. I didn't watch episode seven and I didn't miss it. So <laughs> I'll never the only thing probably you miss watch is the, like, it again. 
the five minutes at the end where she decides to go back to Hawkins and that's when you like real that's that like plays into the episode where right. she walks into the house yep. like that's the only thing you really yeah, and that's need why she's her listening in yeah. on Hopper's radio conversation and her deciding to go back to Hawkins like that's all you need well that's and it. that's the moment where she realizes that for her she's choosing to make that home and right, that's yeah. where that home thing comes in which is great because it connects with what we've been talking about. We talked about with Max and everything and the whole season for those two characters really looking for home. And it just, for Eleven, the point is made kind of, um, it's kind of botched. It's just, it's not as well thought out as it could have been. And then that's frustrating. But what I think is really interesting is that both Eleven and Max lead into this idea that happens with all of the, the, especially the kid characters here, but one of friendship and like the true friendship holds back the darkness. Like I loved watching each one of these friendships find a way to hold back darkness in these kids' lives and in the world in general. Like when we go meta with it, you know, we're holding back the darkness of the upside down. But like I thought it was so beautiful. I mean, the moment where Will and Mike sit down after Halloween and have that conversation, like who hasn't had that conversation with the person who turned out to be their best friend? Like I understand you, you understand me. And if even if nobody else gets it, it's cool. We'll be crazy together. Like that was beautiful stuff. Well, and I love that it sort of just like, for lack of a better term, it just like pisses all over any form of like toxic masculinity that could have been created between these four male characters going through adolescence, right? Like this is the time where they want to prove themselves. And a lot of times this is where you get the the tough guy character coming out and the I don't need help and I don't need emotional support sort of thing. And instead they elect to let these boys be super vulnerable and hurt. And you get to see Mike kind of start to cry about Eleven not coming back and feeling just like even the scene where he's sitting in the house being interrogated by the pseudo like anti-commie people. Right. And he sees her outside the window, just like the sheer emotion there. And then seeing Will and him finally break down and be like, I feel like I'm going crazy. Like being able to say that to another person is hard, let alone when you're a teenager. So I, I absolutely loved it. And I loved that we got to see characters who are strong and manly, but not, toxically manly and it was it's just to show that it's okay it's okay to do that and that it's okay to cry if you're a guy yeah (laughs) yeah I I completely agree I thought that it was it was really nice to see that moment between Will and Mike I thought it was nice that even in spite of the possible fight Lucas and Dustin could have had over Max that they don't and that they play it out more of Dustin realizes that what Lucas feels for her is deeper and genuine um, and that maybe he should just back up. Um, and then I like the you know whole relationship between all the boys together growing through that interrogation scene where Joyce and Jonathan and Mike are all um, trying to help Will remember all of his memories growing up to bring, like you were saying, Matt, that light back to the darkness. I thought that was really heartwarming in a lot of different parts of the season. 
Well, and I love that we're getting to see more of Will in this season yeah. because in the last season he was a major character that was absent from seven of the or six of the eight episodes. You never even saw him, but he was the main focus of the entire season. So I love that we get to see him and that he shows up in this phenomenal way. Like his his acting as this like character who's going crazy and possessed could have gone over the uh, top to be campy and cheesy, but it it just was so spot on and like you felt for him when he's sitting there in, in the kitchen crying that he feels it burning everywhere you know like it's just ugh. you just he was phenomenal and I loved getting to know more about Will too um, as part of this party right and now you like oh I know why they all fought so hard to get Will back from the upside down because he's amazing and he's their friend like he you know like I don't know you just feel so much more vested even from the first season watching the second season so when it feels like Will is the glue of the group that without Will there, it felt like all the boys were more disconnected. Well, and, and, and I think the thing that was so great about it is that, you know, I love the scene where they're tricking Will, you know, uh, with, uh, they're, they're, so he's able to signal them about the Mind Flayer's plan, but they're using the memories of friendship they're using the memories of love and support and um, what it means to be alive and, and connected in community to save everyone. Like that it's it's together that we make this happen. And, and that this community, this friendship is what will help destroy all of this darkness and, and at least let it leave our world for the time being. Um, and I thought that's a, this such a beautiful thing because not only are they connecting with each other, but you have the most random connections happening. The ones you don't expect, like Will, like Dustin and Steve becoming friends, becoming, creating this strange kind of mentorship um, that you just didn't expect to have happen and turned out to be one of the freaking best parts of the show that Steve turns up to be one of the best men in the show. Which, who would have thought that so, after the first season? So talking about no Steve way. and how amazing he is as Mama Hen here. Um, because No, we're exactly staying on the is. bench. <laughs> we're staying <laughs> on the bench, guys. We're letting the A-Squad show up. This isn't a sports metaphor. Um, I want to talk a little bit and not too much because I really, 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 really hated the character um, of Max's brother. Um, not only did I just dislike Aww. the character, I felt like it was kind of almost unnecessary to the whole entire season. And I'm really holding out that they do something with it in the next season. Um, kind of like Steve was almost kind of unnecessary last season. And the season was like the best part of the whole season um, because You've got this angry, like redneck, racist guy from from California who's abusing his stepsister, and I mean, there was just he was just every kind of bad, and you feel bad for him because he's clearly abused himself, and you can see where the pattern is continuing or coming from, but it just didn't feel necessary to this to this season. Um, but watching him come in and try to pick a fight with Steve, who was trying to help Max, who he has no, he doesn't know anything about her. You know, he's the, she's the random girl helping him out in the junkyard. That was the I best. That, that was the Why best. is this random girl the only one helping me? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, but 
you know, he doesn't know her. He doesn't, he hasn't really been in the trenches with her yet. Right. She hasn't really proven herself the same way. Some of these other characters have proven themselves to each other. Right. Um, but even him stepping up and being like, all right, well, I know her brother and her brother's a total a-hole. So, uh, I'll, uh, I'll have her back and I'll just say that she's not here and then I'll get the crap kicked out of me for her. Um, and that's another one of her shining moments where she finally steps up for herself, which I, I loved, yeah, but, so good. um, but her brother, I just felt like, um, whose name is totally, totally Billy. Billy. Thank you. I knew it was something generic. Um, I just felt like Billy's character was just so unnecessary to even include. He added, you know, the antagonism that we were sort of missing from this Hawkins, from the non upside down world. Um, but I don't know that we really needed that. Like I wasn't feeling like I needed more antagonism, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but in terms of new characters, unless next season he shows up as something phenomenal and now it all makes sense, I don't... I, I could have cut him out. You could have cut his whole character out and I would have been fine. I actually probably would have been happier. I, um, I'm i going to play devil's advocate for a second and just tell you that I, I liked him um, in the sense of just bringing something different to the table. There were a lot of things I didn't like about him too. I'm not going to discount that at all. Um you mean you don't love that he's like a total racist jerk? No, ironically, no. Yeah, that was terrible. His Shockingly whole, enough, not my thing. Yeah. His whole dislike for Lucas, my husband and I were both going, this just feels really uncomfortable. It's just gross. Yeah. yeah it was just icky. But, um, but I thought it was really interesting that they did get to show that scene of him and his father. So you do kind of understand what is causing him to be the way he is a little more. Um, but he still doesn't really, you know, like you're saying, have anything that redeems his character for any reason that really seems to make him necessary with the rest of the group other than annoying Steve all the time. Um, I was dying laughing at that shower scene where it just feels like Steve can't catch a break. (laughs) He's got two people fighting him at one time and then they turn off his water and he's like, God, I can't even take a shower in peace. Um, but but I like um, that even when you first meet Billy and Max, I was wondering the way they were talking to each other, if they weren't both experimental children like Eleven was. I don't know if you guys got that vibe at first. I didn't, but that's interesting. Because it was like he yeah. would say to her, well, you know what happens when you talk to people. And it's I think he, I remember him saying something like, we might have to go back to the bad place or go back home or whatever. It was just, it came across maybe like that to me at first. Um, but then obviously goes a completely different direction. I definitely got the impression that they're yet another family dynamic, right? We haven't had a family dynamic like this before. Um, you know, you've got the sort of like out of touch brother raising brother relationship with the buyers. You've got the nuclear family where the mom is very disorder, very not interested in dad in the in um the Wheeler family, right? You've got the weird Stepford wife unhappy sort of stereotype in the Wheeler family. Mm-hmm. Um you've got the really happy nuclear family, the functional non there's no form of dysfunction in Lucas's family that we've seen so far. Um and then you've got like the single mom with um Dustin's family. You know, you've got like all of these different family units that are shown in this way. Um and then you you add this like married super abusive household they're trying to run away from what sounds like another like 
problem parent, right? Um, so I, I more got that they were just trying to add another family element type to the picture mm-hmm. right from the beginning. I sort of thought maybe my husband guessed uh, when we first watched it through um, witness protection with them, the way they were talking, like that they had been misplaced. They'd been displaced here for witness protection for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of more what he was going with. And I saw that more. I didn't really go down the like their experimental children phase, but I mean, I can totally see where you were going with that. And I, I could see how you would get there. Yeah, with Billy, I, I, all I can... It, honestly, the only thing that comes to mind for me is, uh, well, <laughs> cuckoo cachoo, Mrs. Wheeler. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Just waiting for that to happen next season. Um yeah, because that's exactly. I wish you all could see my face that right whole now. That scene just reminded me something straight out of the graduate. Um, but, but I kind of liked it. Um, uh, it it is so <laughs> creepy. Uh, oh, yeah, so gross. Uh, and uh, it's I mean, so gosh, grody. I mean, Mrs. Mrs. Wheeler, I could totally understand. A look at her husband. I mean, as as Dustin said, you're useless. You know that, uh, right? Because <laughs> totally is. But with Billy, so uh, there is an after show for Stranger Things on uh, Netflix and we watched through the whole thing and one yeah. of the reasons they created Billy was because Steve was supposed to be this character basically where he was continually supposed to be the jerk but Steve turned out to be such a great character for them that they he he basically took them in a direction they didn't know he was going to go and they wanted another character that was kind of that human foil um, and they also kind of wanted somebody who's irredeemable they didn't want a character that was going to become the heart of gold in the end they wanted Mm. to give you a taste of kind of why he's like this but he also makes the choice to be a complete a-hole his his whole life like he's had a not the best situation but that doesn't excuse his behavior and so i really appreciated that they went there in this show to to say you know what some people just choose to be kind of evil and he really is a psychopath. Um, well, it goes back to what we talk about whenever we talk about Harry Potter, right? You've got a choice. Your your mm-hmm. environment only dictates so much until you can choose to to let it fester and turn you into the thing that you hate, or you can choose to show up in a different way, knowing what it's done to you. So he's just chosen the Voldemort path instead of the yes. Harry Potter yeah, path. Yeah, really has. Um, so you know, I what I like about the character is that I hate him. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I don't like him as a kid. Like, I don't want him to be there, but I like that they do such a great job of making me hate him and they allow me to continue to hate him. Um, and I love that Max gets the moment where she takes care of her friends herself. You know, Steve started it. She finishes it. Um, oh, yeah, she And did. she almost finishes it completely, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, that baseball bat almost ends up in some pretty tender areas so um that was an amazing scene and I, I felt like they really used that character to their advantage with the character of max and then everybody else around her and so that made me appreciate what they did with him even if he's a pain in the butt to have around as a character and it'll be interesting because i don't think he'll be quite that same type of character because he's kind of been put in his place now Mm-hmm. so and they've all seen it him put in his place and so it's like he doesn't have that power over them anymore so i yeah i've talked about billy a lot more than i thought we were going to but um <laughs> sorry no 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 i think it's <laughs> fantastic because you had uh, we had a fantastic conversation about it um 
So I wanted to ask you about this because if there's any part of the story besides Eleven, this teenage angst thing with uh, Jonathan and Nancy, I, I hated. I hated. Oh, me too. Um, really? And mainly because it makes yeah, me hate Nancy because she turns out to be a jerk. I don't know that I ended up hating Nancy. I, I did. I, I mean, a poor Jonathan. Nobody cares about Jonathan. Like his mother never knows he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> right? I I don't know. So I feel like Nancy always goes for she's one of those people who wants to make people not hurt. Right. So in the last season, she was with uh, Steve and then she sort of started drifting towards Jonathan. And then when Jonathan was hurting, that's when she went to Jonathan. And now I have a feeling when we start season three, seeing Steve hurting, she's going to flip back to Steve. Like she's got like this needing need to make people not feel hurt. Like she wants to make them feel better. Um, this like drive in her. Um, I, I don't know. I never really was a Jonathan Nancy ship. Like, I don't know. I feel like for a couple to be a good couple, they need to push each other. And I feel like she pushes Jonathan to be a better person, but I don't know that Jonathan pushes her to be a better person. Um, I feel like he pushed her a little bit in the first season and that he sort of opened her up and sort of helped her find like that, that, that badass person buried deep within her who can shoot a gun and, you know, but then he didn't show up in that same confident way either. He's still the sort of like, paper thin watered down version of a person because nobody cares about him but he also doesn't care about him and so it's really hard to like root for him when like he's got every reason to like stand up and be like i am awesome and he just doesn't do it and you're like um so i mean i'm proud that if she's not happy if she didn't love steve that she figured it out and moved on but I just, I don't know. I, at the end, I just wasn't digging the relationship and wasn't like super happy about it. And I wasn't like, yeah, go. Good job. You guys finally hooked up. I wasn't, I was like, ugh, seriously. Ugh. All right. Whatever. <laughs> so I just, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't digging it. I wasn't digging it. They def Steve definitely stole the spotlight there. I was much more on board for his storyline than theirs. Um, and their storyline also felt pretty disconnected from everything else. We're talking about Eleven having her own sort of like off adventure. You they didn't love hashtag justice for Barb? <laughs> no, I mean, I get why they were doing it and I, I get that they were doing it for her parents and everything. And, and I mean, like it's one of those things where like, I didn't not like it. I just wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't the thing that I was like, yeah, I'm rewatching it for their plot line. I'm like, eh, whatever. I, that's when I can get up and go get something to drink while that part plays. So I don't know. It wasn't for me. Was it for me? I will agree. I felt like the the whole thing with her and um, Steve having dinner with Barb's family, um, it filled in a, a hole that we wanted to see of like what's going on with the whole Barb situation now. Um, and I do feel for Nancy um, that guilt that you can clearly see that just keeps haunting her that she feels like they killed Barb, even though she knows they didn't. She feels like her whole night with Steve caused Barb's death at this point and that she is dying to tell Barb's parents that she's not coming home and they need to stop spending all their money. But Steve's like, you can't tell them that for one, because talk about bursting somebody's bubble, telling them that their daughter's never coming home. Um, and two, for Hawkins lab, figuring out that you, you know, spilled the beans, what happens then? Um, 
But yeah, I, I completely agree that it kind of felt flat as far as um, Nancy and Steve having a lot to do together in this season. Um, and the, the whole relationship with Nancy and Jonathan as well, feeling a little flat. Um, but I, I did really enjoy probably more than anything else in this season, Nancy and Jonathan staying at Murray's house and Murray telling all the dirty jokes about the pullout couch. <laughs> was I did terrible, laugh but pretty funny. hard about that pullout couch. That line was delivered so perfectly. And his like, reaction we dinner was so and perfect I spitted, to it. Spat out my food. Yeah, it was um, so funny. You, you know the, the here's the thing. Like um, with uh, this, the the they bucked convention in the first season that Nancy stayed with Steve and that Steve turned yes. out to be, actually be a good man. Like he proved yes. himself to be a good man. And then in this season, he does nothing but prove himself time and time again to be a good man. Mm-hmm. Like and she still and she still leaves, leaves him. him. And so yes. it makes her kind of like I don't even know what word you would use to describe that other than disloyal, and dishonest and kind of like ugh. You know like and and so Yes, so yes, 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 yes. Okay. I think you're go- yes, you're exactly where I'm at. So I liked the dissension between Nancy and Steve. Yes. So when you're talking the first couple episodes when they kind of like when they were at the party and they were fighting and she was really like worked up about justice for hashtag justice for Barb, you know, and, and he was like, no, let's just let's just keep acting like everything's normal. I feel like that's one of those situations where like they both experience something really traumatic. It's almost like when a couple loses a kid or a close family member, mm-hmm. when one person grieves one way and one person grieves another way and they can't figure out how to make it work, right? Like mm-hmm. he can't understand her guilt and she can't understand how he shows up every day pretending like everything's fine. Um, so that like tension I thought was great. And I was even okay when they sort of split up because it, felt natural it felt real like that's what nancy needed she needs to process right but then the introduction of the relationship with jonathan didn't feel right because it didn't feel like she left steve because she was in love with jonathan it's that she left steve because they weren't connecting and he couldn't understand so that is where that whole thing sort of fell off the cliff for me um and i feel like i had i really wish they had just kept jonathan and nancy as platonic good friends because I feel like they could have built a stronger relationship that way. Um, and then even if she, I really would have preferred her to just end up with nobody. Let's be honest. She doesn't need a man. There's no reason for it. And I think that would have resolved a lot of what you're feeling about her. And that it's almost like she's flighty. Well, it, it, but the problem was, is that she doesn't actually break up with Steve. They have a fight, but there's no break. She doesn't remember that. And she doesn't well, but, remember, but they also have a fight outside the basketball court and they don't break up then. There's no breakup. There's no, you know what? This, this is over. And and so, like... I don't love you. You're like, right. I don't like, love Like, she you. never right. says any of that stuff. And then she just goes off with Jonathan. And the problem is, is that what it makes it seem like is that Steve was her second choice. And now that Jonathan's available, she's going to go get that. Like, that's the way they play the season is that because they have that conversation, her and Jonathan, inside uh, the hotel room and... And he's like, she's like, I waited. I waited for and you. And she's yeah. like, mm-hmm. he's like, for like a month. But, and that's the thing. Like, she, there's this whole, uh, like, wishy like, she turns into this, like, wishy-washy, like, not strong female character who has to be defined by having a dude. And, and instead of. She becomes her mom, which is what she didn't want to exactly, do. Exactly. But not just that. 
but Steve is actually the better guy. At yeah. least so far. Uh, like, oh, yeah. But I mean, he's he's the better guy because he's proven himself to be honorable and uh, he's not going around cheating with anyone and she does all of those things. So it's like they turn her well, and he, in, into it. He shows up for the yeah, good. Exactly. He shows up to help them knowing even it's the right thing to do. Even when they're just a bunch of kids that aren't even his. Like, he well, has and no then, connection and Jonathan, with the them. whole full seasons, all Jonathan's been concerned with is Will. Yeah. That's the only person Jonathan has cared about is Will, right? Whereas Steve has had to show up to take care of kids and to save the town. Like, Jonathan's not doing this to save the town. Jonathan's doing this to save Will, which is commendable. And by all means, it's his brother and he loves him. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're talking about sort of an altruistic greater good here, Steve is the one who's shown up for the greater good every single time, even though he's helping his ex-girlfriends or his question mark girlfriends, brothers, friends. Like, it's just, it's such, I don't know, it's just such a weird dynamic. And you're right. He shows up definitely as this great guy, especially because in season one, I guess they originally wanted him to um, rape Nancy was the intention of the character. Yeah. And that when they went, put him in and started creating the chemistry between everyone, they're like, this just doesn't work. This just isn't going to work. Um, there's no, th- th- there's no way we can make this like character. That's just going to feel out of character for him. Um, but like they, I don't know. They just. It, it just, yeah, I just, I don't, I guess I don't like Jonathan's character. I guess it had potential in the season and it just like. Rah. I mean, if you want to talk hashtag relationship goals, it's Steve. Um, yeah. Oh my you God. know, so. But Steve I do have to th- say though, one defense for Jonathan and Nancy being together that I always go back to is that they've been through something together more than what Steve and Nancy went through together. Jonathan and Nancy were fighting the Demogorgon together and Steve walked in going, what is happening in season one? And Jonathan did get Nancy to step up and, you know, learn to shoot a gun and set up a bear trap and all this stuff to, you know, get stuff done and try to help everyone. Um, And so I, I do feel that one reason that redeems Jonathan and Nancy having more than platonic relationship because they've been through this traumatic experience. I feel like they automatically connect on a deeper level than Steve and Nancy were and that she's kind of expressing out loud in that drunk scene at the party that is what we really have love or are we just two people that happen to be together and I really should be with Jonathan because we have a deeper connection. Which I I can go through yeah. a traumatic event with a friend or a family member or a male or a female and not have to make it into a sexual or romantic thing. Yeah. I can have a deep, meaningful, intimate relationship with someone that doesn't cross, that I can still maintain a deep and intimate relationship with my significant other. So... I agree that they went through a traumatic event together and they have like a deep connection. But at the same time, I don't think that has to translate into something that becomes like a sexual relationship, which is what irritated the crap out of me <laughs> because they could have made this the the best trio ever and they didn't. Well, and that that was the thing that I think bothers me the most is, again, it turns N- Nancy into somebody who y- is using people. She used Steve yeah. because Jonathan wasn't available. And now that he's available, she's like, see you, Steve. Like, again, I I don't like that. what that turns Nancy into. Because you're absolutely right. If she had told 
Steve no in the end and decided to be with Jonathan and at the end of season one, like she should have then, then everything would, uh, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation. There wouldn't be any of this, but she didn't. And again, Steve shows up and, you know, after they've had this thing happen with Will and they're going to take him off to the cabin um, to try and burn out, you know, this mind flare. Steve is still showing up and being an incredible man by, like, letting her off the hook. Um, yeah, he actually says to her, like, we're cool. Yeah, and he's like, and he's the one being self-deprecating about how he's not a good boyfriend. No, he's the yeah. world's best boyfriend, <laughs> it's not even you, when Steve, you're it's the her. world's worst girlfriend. Like, it's just, it, it, it drives me crazy because what it does is that it allows Nancy to get some away with something as a female character that if she was a male character, we would nail him to the wall for yeah. being like that and treating women like that. But you don't get to reverse it and now say that women can do that. Like, you just don't get to have that reversal and not, I don't know, like, I just don't like her now because of that. I feel like if you made the relationship between Nancy and Jonathan one of those where like they were the best versions of themselves together and he saw that and he could be like, all right, look, I'm at peace. You guys are meant to be together. Like I can move on. It's fine. Um, but I agree that Jonathan's character did a lot for Nancy in the first season, right? Teaching her how to shoot and fight and, and all of that. But then in this season, he just showed up as a wet rag. He didn't have any depth of personality. There was no character development. The only like slight, slight insight into that we get is when you know he's like trust issues and he's sitting on the couch mulling over the fact that murray told me he has trust issues you know mm -hmm. um but other than that like he's just nancy waiting and then going to him has enabled him to stay in this sort of like down on himself like doesn't have a it, life it just enabled him her, her it enabled him to stay how he is mm -hmm. and he it didn't enable him, it didn't encourage him to show up better. He didn't he didn't stand up and 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 show her anything. It, it it just it fell flat. I just don't like them together. And if maybe if he shows up differently in the next season, it'll be better and we'll see more chemistry. But I don't know. I just mm, when she ended with Steve at the end of last season, that should have been the end of this sort of like triangle thing. Like it should have been done and over with, and they didn't need to draw it back up. And it, it felt forced because of that. Um, and it did. It just didn't paint Nancy in a great light. You just didn't want to root for her. It felt sneaky. I think that's what it is that's so bad about it. It felt like, like you said, Matt, she didn't end things properly with Steve. They didn't technically break up. It was like she cheated on Steve with Jonathan. We were on a break. <laughs> but you weren't because you didn't have that conversation. Um, I want to I, I want to talk about uh, this because um, so we 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 talked about this uh, last time there are so many bad father figures in this series but Steve turns out to be a great one and then mm -hmm. Hopper turns out to be again the next one and the conversation that he has with Mike when Eleven's back is the best thing in this show it is absolutely the best acted the best scene in the entire run of any of season one or two the the Except for Bob. I, I can't I can't tell you how beautiful that scene is of a young boy being able to have a, an, an, a, a real man be there and be able to take the anger and resentment and pain and be able to allow him to melt 
and it be okay to melt just because of everything that he's been through through the uh, the last year breaking like it was yeah. the best thing i've ever seen uh, on stranger things and i th- hopper this season again shows up to be he's not a perfect guy but he's just a guy trying to do the best he can and that scene with Mike was the one that really, I think, put the pin in just how great he is. Um, and I just, I had to say that because I would have, I would have been totally remiss if we hadn't even talked about that scene. I'm glad you did say that too, because I was going to say also, because Mike's dad never would have been that guy for him. Oh God, no. He was so removed and so, you know, uh, you know, if I had been the coach of that game, you would have been on the bench. And he's just looking at him like, Dad, what are you even talking about? And yeah, Hopper then came in and totally gets to be the, you know, real father figure that Mike needed in that moment of pain to have someone to hold on to and to understand and just let it out. I'm going to put a little caveat here because Hopper is by far my favorite character of of all the seasons like he makes the show for me i i will every time we watch it i tell my husband like i love hopper like in every episode i'm like oh i just love him um between that scene and the scene where he calls um 11 on the radio and is apologizing for the fight mm. um are just you talk about a character who em- embodies this idea of the tough 80s man who's even in law enforcement and having to show these like vulnerable sides to himself and sharing that he feels like he's a black hole and all of this stuff he's just it's phenomenal and and his ability to connect with these kids and not really treat them like kids because when we start out the whole season you know they're just little bratty kids in the principal's office that he's super annoyed with Um, and having to go through these experiences he's starting to trust them and learn he can learn something from them and um, you know, and all the joke about Dungeons and Dragons being just a game and they're just like looking at him and he's like, fine, what do we do? Um, I just love seeing his character art and his arc and his development and how he becomes this actual father figure to Eleven. Um, and he's that parent that's not a perfect parent. He definitely makes mistakes, but he every time he shows up and tries again and he tries better and he you know, and they talk about him holding her prisoner when we're talking about episode seven and how, you know, you ha- he held you captive just like Papa did and stuff like that. Um, but he genuinely is just doing the best he can, how he knows, and he's going to try again tomorrow. And I love that character. And I love how he does that for all of the kids, you know, like he does. He lets Mike be angry at him. He's like, I don't care, kid. Don't be angry at her. You got to be angry at me. Like, it's my fault. I'm going to take that. If you're going to be angry at anyone, it better be me. So. Well, and, and in that, he shows what it means to be a real man. Like, you take responsibility for your own action. And having been somebody who, you know, my life is kind of riddled with a lot of mistakes and to the point of kind of feeling a little bit like that, where you, you just kind of feel like cancer to people's lives. Like, you literally, you you don't, want to be a part of people's lives because you feel like you're just going to ruin them. And so connecting with that in in Hopper and seeing him continue to to rise up and and try to be better each and every day and and like you were saying the the way he's not a perfect parent but he continues to show up, right? And that's the most important thing. You you continue to show up. 
Um, that's what it means to be a parent. You're not going to be perfect, but you're going to continue to be there. And, and your job is to try and protect. And how hard has it got to be to try and to protect a superhero um, who can move things with her mind and could destroy the world probably somehow if she gets strong enough? Like, that's the kind of character that he's dealing with in Eleven, but he's still treating her like he would if she was his own daughter. And now, at the end of the show, she is his daughter. And so I think it's it's this beautiful thing of, of like seeing him find redemption in a lot of ways, like the redemption of Hopper. It's happened, and you get the feeling like he might actually have even more of a family in the next few seasons because him and Joyce might end up reconnecting too because they have this history together and all that. And like, but it seems so natural and it, but what it, it, it's not about him finding that it's been about this whole other arc and what it has been. I think the most beautiful thing has been, it's a good picture of what real manhood is like. Good, true manhood is seen in characters like Hopper. It's seen in a character like Steve, you know. But we're also getting the other side. We see what bad manhood is like. Billy, Mike's dad, Mr. Wheeler. You know, I mean, I mean, Mrs. Wheeler is considering having an affair with Billy. You know it because her husband is so utterly awful as a person and a human being, um, who's so utterly detached from the world that. Yeah, anyway. So, I just, I really love that. Um, we should really talk about a couple other new characters because uh, it, it's already going to be a little bit longer show. But hey, it's Stranger. Um, <laughs> we were excited. Well, we're talking about nine episodes yeah. of something. So, I mean, um, I did want to ask you guys, I, I love Paul Reiser. Um, I loved him in Mad About You. Such a great show. Aliens. Yes, yes. In fact, they actually pulled him because of Aliens. Um, and But I... I like that we got a different type of character working at um, whatever it is they call it. I don't even know. Hawkins, Hawkins Labs. Labs. Um, I don't know why. I've seen it. Like, I've seen this show four times. Two first season. Two. Anyway, um, what did you guys think about the way that they dealt with that character? I honestly really loved Paul as Sam, this doctor that sort of feels like he's in charge of Hawkins lab now in place of Papa, um, but does later get proven to be a good guy. Um, I love that scene in the conference room when all of the other doctors are saying, well, at the end of the day, does this kid really matter that much? And he's the one person that sticks up to the whole room and goes, what do you mean? Does this kid really matter? If we start down this road, who do we become? And I love that moment that you're you're in it with him and going, yeah, what he said. Um, and that scene where he's still at the lab after everyone else has left trying to salvage things and Hopper comes back and finds him injured and helps him. Um, I think that, you know, definitely at first in uh, Stranger Things 2, you think that this guy is going to be just the same as Papa was and... Um, that, you know, mastermind that has all this stuff going on behind the scenes, but then makes this complete turn into a good person. I, I really liked him. He's a good anti-hero, mm -hmm. you know, 
He's a really good, um, he still kind of plays the antagonist role, right? He represents the the interests of the corporation and the government, if you will, right? With his little diatribe to Nancy and Jonathan about how they can't be honest about Barb's death because it's not for the greater good. Uh, but then throughout the season, you kind of get the idea that he's re- re-deciding what the greater good looks like. Um, like you were talking about with the scene where he, you know, they're talking about Will and does it really matter? You know, he's kind of like, well, yeah, it kind of does matter. Um, but, uh, he, he does a good job, not, he stays true to that character. He still kind of watches the lab. You get the idea he's staying around back behind, not just because, um, he wants to help them get out safely, but because that's, he's the captain going down with his ship, you know, he's, he's going to stay and protect his interests as long as possible. Um, you know, he's that good, loyal employee, but he really wants to help them still. Um, I, I did really, I really dug his character. I like that they let him live. Um, mm-hmm. I like that he comes and kind of helps Hopper at the end um, and that they seem to have a, a somewhat amicable relationship. Even I wouldn't say they're friends, but that, you know, they sort of have an understanding, if you will. I liked that. Um, so I, I pretty much, I really liked his character. And I thought he did, a, the actor, I think Paul Reiser did a really phenomenal job in that role too because again a lot of these roles could go very campy or very cheesy or over the top very easily um but he did a really great job representing that element i can't really add anything to what y'all have said other than to say i dig dug the guy so um (laughs) he was was, i and yeah i really did i i I liked everything that you guys said and i love that in in the end uh, there's still some ambiguity to the character, but you know, and he finds his way. Um, and obviously, you don't need him to be the villain that Papa is because you already have the the ultimate villain in what's happening with the upside down. And now this is the guy who's unfortunately been saddled with trying to fix the mistake that he didn't maybe make. You know, like he's probably not responsible for this at all. So, um, but I, I, what about Bob? best character of season two i'm just gonna throw that out there um to me bob just is exactly what joyce needed in her life in the wake of everything that happened with will before you know you can tell that she's still terrified of losing will again of every time the phone rings she gets nervous um and yet bob gets to come in as this guy that she knew before so she's comfortable with um, but gets to kind of bring some happiness back to her life and give her something to live for. Um, and and you feel for Bob when you have that scene of Jonathan and Will talking about, well, would you rather be friends with Bowie or Kenny Rogers? And then <laughs> Bob comes Kenny in and goes, Rogers. I love Kenny Rogers. Um, but he's just sweet and endearing and you love him. And and I think that's why you're just so shocked and in so much pain when you see Bob has to die and see that pain on Joyce's face. I mean, talk about even more screaming at the TV. My husband and I are sitting there going, no, not Bob. Um, but it but it was nice that she still had Hopper to lean on after as like that other person she knew from high school and everything, too. And I'm glad that they didn't immediately go into now she's with Hopper. I liked Bob. I liked his character. Um, I think he had to die. Unfortunately, I think that's just something that we had to have. I think I don't think we can let Joyce Byers be happy. I think that's just 
her lot in life. I think that's just where they're going with it. I just don't think that character ever gets to be happy. Um, I, I'm not saying I agree with that, but I'm just saying that's the role she plays in this series. Um, uh, and uh, I got to say, I really dug the whole Jurassic Park feel we got from that episode eight with uh, him trying to reboot the system and navigating the demo dogs and running out and trying to escape. Um, it had a very, very Jurassic Park feel to it, which I did because I love that movie. So um, I, I, that was instantly where I went. Um, but the second he walked out without his gun was the second you knew he wasn't making it out of there. Um, and, you know, to an extent, you have to you have to have the bad guys kill somebody you like to be vested in this, somebody's got to die. And a bunch of random workers in a building are not going to incite that sort of like passion and fire. They, the boys went down in the vines tunnels to help 11 and to do it in Bob's name because he founded their EV club. And you know, it's, it's that martyr that lights that fire for everyone. Um, and it had to be someone and, I'm sorry, Bill. I'm sorry, Samwise Gamzee. It was. It's got to be you because you were the one who deserved it the least. So you're the one who's going to have the most impact on dying. So um, it was. It was sad and exactly what it was supposed to be, but it had to happen, and I was okay with that. But it was sad. Never stop for sentiment. Never stop. Just keep running. <laughs> I don't you understand. Why do you always stop? Why they always stop? You made the, it through yes. the door, but you're not out of the building yet. Obviously, Get out of the building. they're trying to come through the door. Like uh, it just like why are you it's just made of wood? Uh, why are you stopping for this sentimental sweet moment when you're gonna die? Um, yeah. Just get out. Just keep. Oh. If he kept running, he'd have lived. Nothing like being demi dog food. Uh, oh gosh. Anyway, oh, I felt bad. Um, there's so much more we could talk about obviously with this this show um but i i think we've just kind of come to the point where it's time to uh you know put the zoomer to the metal and ask you guys what the rating is for season two um where 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 do you christy where do you end up with uh stranger things two stranger things two i will give a nine out of ten three musketeers bars um, because the only drawback for me really was, um, episode seven, um, and not that much from it either. Um, I really felt like, although there were, like we said, some predictable things that they did with this season, um, they were questions that we wanted answered anyway. Um, and that there was so much that they did that surprised me, especially things like Bob and Joyce's relationship and his death, um, that redeemed the bad for me that it just really blew me away. I liked season two better than season one personally. Um, and frankly, hoping to see if Billy um, and Jonathan get a little redemption next season. I'm going to have to go a little lower here. Um, I think I still like season one better than season two. Um, there's definitely some things I liked better about season two, but overall, I think I liked the first one better. I really miss the Dungeons and Dragons aspect. It wasn't quite strong enough, and I'm a huge D&D fan, yes. so kind of miss that a little bit. Um, so um, I think I'm going to give it a plus eight and a half to Charisma on uh, <laughs> for this season. Um, 
but uh, I'd, I'd give the last one a nine for myself. So just slightly under there. Didn't like quite how predictable it was with Elle's uh, or Eleven's mom and the whole Nancy, Jonathan, Steve love triangle um, and the Billy character. I think there's just a few things that could have been slightly tightened up a little bit more to make it a nine. Um, so didn't quite hit that one for me, but I still think it was a phenomenal watch and I would watch it again and I'm going to watch the next season. Um, I hear there's going to be four seasons, so I'm I'm on board for all four unless we jump the shark next time. So, um, But I'd say eight and a half. I am going to go with seven out of 11 puffs of fair faucet uh, spray. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I would have given uh, season one like as like, close to 11 out of 11. But this one just there are, as we talked through, and there were just some serious things that I did have an issue with. But the thing about this season was that by the end, I was satisfied and I rewatched the season again and I enjoyed it very much. Like I, I think what they've created here is something that I like being a part of. I like watching. I enjoy being with the characters. Um, and you know, now I have uh, my own goal is to be Steve is to be just as good as Steve and Hopper. Um, so, you know, I, I love that a show like this can kind of give us some some people to like that, to be able to look up to imperfect characters that are always striving to do the best thing that they can for other people. And I think in a world that we live in, that's an incredible thing. So um, I can't wait to see what they do with season three. And I hope you'll be there with us. So um yeah, I really appreciate the fact that uh, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson make sure that the show can come to you each and every week. They're associate producers through Patreon. Um, this is a huge network. We have so much going on here on Trek FM, and there's absolutely no way we can afford as the host to make sure that it comes to you each and every week. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can see how you can be part of the team. Uh, every little bit of support helps each month, and uh, we have many different ways that we'd like to get back to you. So again, go over there to patreon.com slash trekfm. See how you can help us, and um, make sure that all of this content here in the network keeps coming to you each and every day of the week. Um, Christy, fantastic to have you back. Love you being here. Uh, where can everybody find you if they want to talk about some Stranger Things or anything else that you're doing? Yeah, it's wonderful to be back. Um, I love being on 602 Club here talking about Stranger Things and other geek stuff and then also regularly talking about the Bond movies in order. We have a lot of fun doing that with John Champion too. Um, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at... Uh, my new handle is Bespin Bell, um, something a little more Star Wars oriented. Um, and um, I also write for fangirlnextdoor.com and starwarsreport.com. Andrea, uh, when you're not talking uh, Stranger Things, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on some older episodes of 602 Club. Um, I think we did the Harry Potter did, series yeah. and I did a, a couple other random episodes sparkled or sprinkle i'm gonna i sprinkled yeah sprinkled mommy brain we're gonna blame mommy brain there for a minute um so you can either find me tending to my newborn or you can find me on twitter or instagram at uh drea kaufman um and on the owl post um with matt mr matt here um talking we're going chapter by chapter of harry potter 
Um, and the owl post is on uh, the nerd party network um, or you can find it on all of your podcasting places so check us out and if you like harry potter you can come hear us nerd out for about 45 minutes every week so you totally want to by the way because um we're in book three right now and we're having a blast talking about that so please check that out uh, you can find me on twitter matt rushing zero two and i'm on instagram under the same name i'm here on the network with chris jones talking about deep space nine we can find a time to squeeze the show in so definitely check that out uh you can find me on the Nerd Party Network, also doing a show with my good friend John Mills as we talk all about all things Star Wars on aggressive negotiations. It's so much fun. Make sure you check it out. Um, and uh, last not least, talking all about film through the lens of faith with my friend Courtney over on Cinema Stories. Uh, and you can find all of those wherever you get your podcasts. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> Hey, you don't talk on